Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and uh, that's what Easter is all about. We know that everything will be all right in the end. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it gets in the future, that our God is on the throne and our Savior is alive and he reigns. And one day he'll come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, we've been looking at the the seven sayings from the cross, the last words of Jesus, and every word was chosen carefully and spoken meaningfully. And we need to hear a word from our Savior, even from the cross. And uh, today we're on saying number six. It is just one verse. It is, uh, in the original, it is just one word, just like last week. Last week, I thirst is one word in the original. And so this week, we have one word spoken by our Savior from the cross. It's found in John chapter 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. That is the sixth saying of our Savior from the cross. It is finished. Before we get into that this morning, let's pause for a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, we give you the thanks for who you are and for all that you have done for us. We give you the thanks for this glorious Easter Sunday, that even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of this sickness, even in the midst of the, the fear and anxiety and uncertainty that is going around today, Lord, that you are in control. You are in charge. Our sovereign God sits upon the throne. And one day, everything will be made right. One day, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more crying. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to worship you today. If there's anybody out there listening that does not know Christ as Savior, does not know the risen Lord, does not have a personal relationship with Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would put their faith and trust into the finished work of our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we said before, the first three sayings were spoken early at the beginning of the crucifixion, the last four sayings were all spoken very quickly at the end, right at the very end, all four sayings grouped together at the, the very end of our Savior's crucifixion. About three o'clock in the afternoon, just moments before he died, he spoke those final four sayings. From the darkness, he cried, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The darkness was from noon to three o'clock. And at the end of that darkness, that's when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cried out, I thirst. And then when he had taken that drink to his lips, then he cried out, it is finished. That's what John 19 says. It is finished. And the, the, the point of that, the main theme of what our Savior was communicating was the fact that our Savior conquered sin and death, that the victory had been won. It was finished. And I would like to, uh, to take a, a few moments today to, to look at that from three different perspectives. I know it's just a, a short, brief saying. It's just one word in the original language. But I'd like to look at it from three different perspectives. Now, the first perspective that I would like to look at it would be from the perspective of Jesus the one who is hanging on the cross, the one who spoke the words, it is finished. What did that mean to him? What did that mean that he was finished? 
What did he mean when he said it is finished? Well, essentially it means that Jesus faithfully completed his mission. He had done exactly what the Father told him to do. Now that does not mean that he was completely done and that he wasn't going to do anything else. In fact, he was, uh, still had a lot to do. From that cross, he cried, it is finished, but he still had a lot on his plate. I mean, just a few days later, he was going to rise from the dead, and that was an important mission. That was an important part of our salvation. Uh, then he would uh, ascend up into heaven and be seated with the Father. That's an important step in his ministry. And he would become our uh, great high priest and our advocate. He would be at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on our behalf. That's a very important thing that he's doing right now. He would be the head of his church. That's a very important thing, and he's very busy doing that right now. He's still the head of his church, even though our church can't get together. We can't meet publicly, but he is still the head, and we still gather uh, electronically and worship him. And then he will come again someday. He will finalize our salvation someday. All those things he, he is doing and will do. All those things came after he said, it is finished. So what did it mean when he said, it is finished? It, me it meant that that phase was done. And he was moving on to the next phase. It, it's kind of like God in Genesis at creation. During the, the week of creation, he spent six days creating the universe. He could have done it in six minutes. He could have done it in six seconds. But his plan was to do it in six days. And so he fulfilled his plan. He accomplished exactly what he set out to do. And after six days, he rested because he was finished. He was satisfied. He had done exactly what his plan was to do. It's not like he stopped doing anything. Oh, no, he was very, very busy and very, very active. Even on the Sabbath day of rest, he was very, very active and very, very busy. But that phase of creation was done, and he was starting a new phase of being the sovereign God over his creation. Well, that's what Jesus did on the cross. His humanly work was done. The sacrifice was finished. And after that moment, there was no more suffering for Jesus, no more pain for Jesus, no more bleeding for Jesus. He had already done that, and it was finished. It was complete. That phase of our salvation was done. That phase of Christ's mission was done. He had successfully completed it, and it was finished. Now, in preparation for this message, I did a word study. And it was really pretty easy to do because our message is based on one word. So I just had to look up that one word and, and figure it out. The, the word, it is finished, is kind of interesting. And it is used uh, several times in Scripture. And it's used in different ways. And it's used with different words translating it. So it makes it a, an interesting word study. The, the root verb is teleo. And uh, in this case, when Jesus cried out, it was a, a perfect tense of the verb teleo. And uh, if you were to say the, the word that Christ spoke on the cross in Greek, it would be tetelestai. That's the perfect tense of the, the basic uh, form of the verb teleo. Tetelestai, it is finished. It's perfect tense, meaning that it is 
in the past, and it's done, but it has repercussions today. It is finished in the past uh, so that it is still finished today, and we reap the benefits of it having been done in the past today. That's the perfect tense. And it's passive tense to say that it is finished. That word is used in the, in the New Testament several times, and there's different words that translate it. Sometimes it's translated fulfill. Sometimes it's translated fill. The wrath of God is filled or fulfilled or finished. Sometimes it's used, uh, the word accomplish is used. And sometimes it means paid. A couple times in the New Testament, it talks about paying tribute or paying taxes. And when it talks about paying taxes, it uses this word, teleo. It uses the word, it's finished. It's kind of like uh, one of those certainties in life. The certainty in life is death and taxes. And uh, you just, at, at some point, they're inevitable. And so you might as well get it over with and you might as well get it finished, you know, when it comes to paying your taxes. Um, and, and Christ's death accomplished all those things. All those meanings of that word are true when Jesus spoke that word on the cross. It was fulfilled, it was filled, it was accomplished, it was finished, it was paid. All of those words are true of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. In fact, this word was used, well, just last week. Last week we looked at the, the word from the cross, I thirst. And you remember what it said in our text, just two verses before John 19.28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. There it is. Teleo, the, the verb. It's finished. All things were done. All things were fulfilled. Knowing that all things were finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. That word appeared just two verses before Jesus said, it is finished. It meant that he had accomplished everything that he had set out to accomplish. Then also in Luke 22, this is interesting. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Here we have that word twice. The verb form, teleo, is there in accomplished. Jesus said, and remember, this is Thursday night. This is when Jesus was with his disciples the night before he was crucified. The night before he was hanging on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. The night before he had told his disciples, I say to you that this which is written must still be finished, accomplished. That's the word. And then at the very end, he says, the things concerning me have an end. That's the noun form of teleo. Teleo is the verb form. Telos is the noun form, but it's the same root word. So we have the noun form of finished there. Twice we have that word appear that Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he was talking about himself. He said, I'm not quite finished yet, but it's about to come to a finish, and it would the very next day after he spoke these words. There's also another uh, word that is, um, is not teleo, it's a different word, but it means to uh, sit down. And uh, that means the same thing. It has the same idea that Jesus was done, that he was finished. We see that, uh, well, actually, this is, this is another one, John 17, verse 3 and 4. Uh, this is not the sat down one yet, but that'll be coming next. 
He said in John 17, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, that is not teleo there. It's a different word, but the same idea, the same idea that Christ was finished. Uh, In his prayer to the Father, Jesus said, I have finished the work you sent me to do. He prayed that to the Father again right before uh, he died on the cross. And here now he's dying on the cross, and he says it is finished. A different word, but the same idea that he used here. And now we get to that sat down idea. That's, again, a different word, but the same idea. This is in Hebrews 1, talking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. the, The idea there is he was done. He had finished that phase. He went up to heaven and he sat down to go on to the next phase. He was done. The same uh, idea, the same concept is found in Hebrews 10. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that sacrifice was done once and for all. It was finished. He sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So he still has something yet to come in the future. He's still waiting till his enemies are conquered. But uh, he had finished one phase and he moved on to the next phase. He had accomplished everything that the Father sent him. He was now ready for the next work to be done, and he will be faithful to fulfill the next work. Our glorious Savior set an example for us. There will come a time when this phase of our life will be over, and we'll move on to the next phase. There'll be a time when we face death, when this earthly journey will be over. We'll either face death or we'll be alive when Christ returns to rapture us. I'm hoping the latter, but you never know. It it could be soon. It could be a long time from now. But one of those two things will happen. Either we will be raptured or we will die. That is a certainty. Someday this journey will be over. This life will be over. And I hope we can be like Jesus and say it is finished. I've done everything that that God wanted me to do. Now, we can't do it as perfectly as he can, obviously. None of us have kept God's law as successfully as he has. He did it perfectly. We try, but we fail sometimes. But I hope that at the end of our life, we can be like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished. Teleo, the same root word there. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When Paul came to the end of his life, he said something similar to what Jesus had said, that he had been faithful to God and that he had finished. He had finished strong. He was faithful right up to the end, right up to his death, right up to the time when his life was taken prematurely uh, by the persecutors, by the Roman government who put him to death. God could have protected him from that fate, but it was God's will because his Mission was complete. His life was finished, and he was faithful to the end. My hope and my prayer is that we can be like Jesus and like Paul and come to the end of our mission and faithfully complete the mission. To Jesus, that's what it meant. From Jesus' perspective, he was done with that mission, and he was moving on to the next. Now let's look at it from a different perspective. This is from 
God's perspective, from God the Father's perspective. From his perspective, Jesus satisfied the Father's righteous demands. The righteous demands of our Heavenly Father were satisfied. Now again, we could go way back to the beginning, and we could go way back to Genesis chapter 3. At the beginning of creation, God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden in the perfect environment, and he basically gave them one simple rule, right? You can freely eat of all the trees of the garden, but of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And you remember what he said? In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That was God's rule. That was God's righteous demands. That was his holy standard that he gave to mankind, that he gave to Adam and Eve. Of course, Adam and Eve failed. They did not meet God's righteous demands. They sinned. They rebelled against God. But God did not give up on them. He intervened. He stepped in. He provided the sacrifice. He covered their sin with the skins of of an animal, with the skins of a lamb. He provided clothing for them. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, but that didn't work. The Father's righteousness demanded much more. The Father's righteousness demanded a blood sacrifice. He said, you shall surely die. And so something had to die. And so God provided a substitutionary sacrifice for Adam and Eve and their sin. And of course, that same sentiment is echoed in the New Testament in Romans, where it says the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The bad news is if you sin, you must die. That's what God said from the very beginning, back with Adam and Eve. The good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news, the wonderful news in Romans. But those are the righteous demands of the Father, and his righteous demands must be met. He cannot just look away from our sin. He cannot just shrug off our sin. He cannot just say, oh, that's okay, forget about it. Um, No, our sin must be paid for. There must be a sacrifice for our sins. His righteous demands must be met. There is no other way. If there were any other way, God would have provided that, and it would have been much easier. He wouldn't have had to send his son to be the sacrifice. But there was no other way. There's a theological term for this, a biblical term for this. It's called propitiation. Propitiation has the root meaning of satisfaction. The fact that Jesus provided the satisfaction for the Father, for the Father's righteous demands. It says in 1 John 2, 2, this word is used several times in Scripture, but uh, this is one of them in 1 John 2, 2. He himself, Jesus, our Savior, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He's the satisfaction for our sins. He met the righteous demands of the Father for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He bore our sins on the cross, and not just our sins, but he bore the sins of the whole world on the cross. Now, that's a Savior. That's a glorious Savior. He did what nobody else could do. Maybe, you know, I could die for somebody else's sin, but I certainly couldn't die for the whole world's sin. But Jesus could, and Jesus did. And he satisfied the Father's righteous demands. That's what it meant for the Father. From the Father's perspective, he poured out his wrath upon his own Son on the cross. That's what the three hours of darkness was all about. That's why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
because the wrath of God was being poured out upon his son. That, that perfect union within the Trinity of God the Father and God the Son existing in eternal glory. Now that was ripped apart for a few hours upon the cross in order that the Father's righteous demands might be met, in order that the Son might become the substitutionary atonement for our sins, that he might bear our sin, the sins of the whole world, upon his shoulders, upon the cross. And the Father was satisfied. We see that word satisfied in that theological term, propitiation. We also see the satisfaction of our Father in the most obvious way. The most obvious way is Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that, that God was satisfied, that God had accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, that God was pleased with his son, that God raised his son from the dead on Easter Sunday morning to show the whole world that the righteous demands of the fathers, the father had been met, had been paid, had been paid in full. And the father was satisfied. And he showed the world with the resurrection of his son on Easter Sunday. Jesus satisfied the righteous demands of the heavenly father, our holy father. So from the perspective of Jesus, he was done. He had completed his mission. From the perspective of the father, he was satisfied. The price had been paid. The sacrifice had been made. And the father accepted what about from our perspective? From our perspective, let's make it personal. That this is for us. Jesus paid the price for my sin. Remember, we talked about that word study, that the word is used to pay something, to pay taxes. A couple times in scriptures, that word is used to pay taxes. Well, Jesus paid the price. The Father accepted it. But Jesus paid the price, paid the price for my sin. It's personal. It's for me. It's available to me. It's available to you. It's available to everybody. Like 1 John 2, 2 stated, it's available. For, he, he paid the price for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. That's the way it works. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, it meant something to me. And it can mean something to you if you believe, if you accept it. It means that there's nothing else we need to do. There's nothing else we can do. That is what Scripture states. And Scripture states very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, believing. Grace is what God does. God gives us grace. Faith is what, how we respond. We respond in faith. And when we respond in faith and believe, then we're saved. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. There's nothing you could add to salvation because Jesus already said it is finished. He already did it. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The same thought is found in Titus, Titus 3, 5 to 7. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior. But having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can add. Jesus did it. Jesus did it perfectly. 
Jesus did it completely. And when he was done, Jesus said, it is finished. And our salvation was purchased. There was nothing that we had to pay anymore. There's nothing that we could add to that anymore. From a personal perspective, from our perspective, Jesus paid the price for my sin and for your sin. And all you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is believe it. All you have to do is respond in faith. Repent of your sins and accept the gift that is freely given to you by God's grace that was paid by the blood of our Savior on Good Friday and had the stamp of approval by God the Father on Easter Sunday when he rose again. Now what I'm trying to say has already been said and has already been said better by uh, Charles Spurgeon. So I want you to listen just to a, a, a brief, uh, this is a dramatic reading of Charles Spurgeon's sermon. Obviously it's not his voice, but it is uh, his sermon. These are his words uh, read by the narrator. Uh, Charles Spurgeon preached on this very text on It Is Finished, and this was near the conclusion of his sermon, and uh, he has a much more eloquent way of saying it than I do. So listen to Charles Spurgeon. It is finished. Let us publish it. Children of God, ye who by faith received Christ as your all in all, tell it every day of your lives that it is finished. Go and tell it to those who are torturing themselves, thinking through obedience and mortification to offer satisfaction. Yonder Hindu is about to throw himself down upon the spikes. Stay, poor man. Wherefore wouldst thou bleed? For it is finished. Yonder faker is holding his hand erect till the nails grow through the flesh, torturing himself with fastings and with self-denials. Cease, cease, poor wretch, from all these pains, for it is finished. In all parts of the earth there are those who think that the misery of the body and the soul may be an atonement for sin. Rush to them, stay them in their madness, and say to them, Wherefore do ye this? It is finished. All the pains that God asks, Christ has suffered. All the satisfaction by way of agony in the flesh that the law demandeth, Christ hath already endured. It is finished. When ye have done this, go ye next to the benighted votaries of Rome, when ye see the priests with their backs to the people, offering every day the pretended sacrifice of the Mass and lifting up the host on high, a sacrifice, they say, an unbloody sacrifice for the quick and the dead. Cry, cease, false priest, cease, for it is finished. Cease, false worshiper, cease to bow, for it is finished. God neither asks nor accepts any other sacrifice than that which Christ offered once for all upon the cross. Go ye next to the foolish among your own countrymen, who call themselves Protestants, and who are papists after all, who think by their gifts and their gold, by their prayers and their vows, by their church goings and their chapel goings, by their baptisms and their confirmations, to make themselves fit for God, and say to them, Stop! It is finished! God needs not this of you. He has received enough. Why will you pin your rags to the fine linen of Christ's righteousness? Why will you add your counterfeit farthing to the costly ransom which Christ has paid in to the treasure house of God? 
cease from your pains, your doings, your performances, for it is finished. Christ has done it all. He said it much more eloquently than I could ever say it. And even though he was using some old English there, and even though he did not hesitate to call out the, the false religions and false teachers, uh, and even among uh, you know, Christianity and the non-Christian religions, uh, Catholics and Protestants, he was calling out everybody. But, but it's true. Anybody that is trying to add to your salvation, anybody that is trying to earn your salvation, anybody that is trying to please God by offering him up your works, your works of righteousness, anybody that is trying that, cease, stop, accept what Jesus has already done. And what Jesus has already done, he said, it is finished. From our perspective, that means we have nothing left to offer. All we do is accept what Christ has already done and then do our, our best to, to live for him and uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk by faith and walk in obedience to his word. We try all those things because we, we love him and because uh, he has already died for us and he has already saved us. We don't do those things in order to be saved but we do those things because we are saved by the grace of God. That's the reminder. The sixth saying from the cross. From Jesus' perspective, he had accomplished that mission. He was ready to move on to the next step. From God's perspective, he was satisfied. He'd accepted the, the sacrifice. From our perspective, Christ has done it all. And all we have to do is accept by faith. There's nothing we can do to add to it. It is finished. Let's close with a word of prayer.